Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Bottom Line Show Live. I'm your show host and producer, Dame Lillian Walker. And today we have an exciting hour for you. Many people would consider drumming for one of the most iconic bands of the 70s, the pinnacle of a music career. But for Richie Onori, drummer for The Suite, it's only the beginning. Now, Richie Onori got his first break when he was 16, playing with with the Mysterians, who had a hit song called 96 Tears. He then joined the group Satire. With a cast of amazing musicians, this band shows in Canada, open shows in Canada for Alice Cooper as well as Aerosmith. Now, Richie made his mark on the music scene as a world-class drummer, having played and recorded with a diverse cross-section of artists such as Keith Emerson, Richie Sambora, Louis Johnson, Ronnie James Dio, Paul Rogers, Slash, and Steve Lukather before joining the suite. Now, Richie is poised to release his own CD entitled Days of Innocence, a collection of songs imbued with influences of the classic California blues rock scene that he grew up with in the Los Angeles-San Fernando Valley. Well, Richie... Uh, is a prolific songwriter, and he speaks from his heart and says what's on his mind. And as usual with Richie, it was soon evident that he would need more than one album to say what he wanted to say, and he decided to release two CDs, giving himself room to explore both his emotional journey, Days of Innocence, and his spirituality and social commentary, the upcoming American Fighters. With the frame of an infectiously grooving blues rock sound, ably assisted by the talents of a roster of heavy hitters with whom he has played with over the years. He's played with drummers like Dave Grohl and Phil Collins. And Richie brings his impeccable groove and rock-solid pocket to the table as a component of his larger concept. Now, in addition to drumming, Richie's also an accomplished guitarist, singer, songwriter, and business entrepreneur. He has a really successful line of guitar straps called Onori Guitar Straps and is the U.S. distributor for Albion Amplifiers. Now, keeping up with even one of these careers would be enough for most people, but not for Richie. It's, an, it's all in a day's work. As successful as these endeavors have been, this first priority, his first priority is making music that speaks about what's important to him as a person and, in a larger sense, as a citizen of America and of the world. Now, the common thread is connection and communication. Richie is driven by a creative spark that enables him to thrive in a variety of endeavors and redefine the word artist. So when it comes to his own musical vision, his interests and accomplishments in so many different spheres led to the development of Richie not simply as a musician or an artist, but as a brand. The Onori brand represents creativity, positive energy, communication, and integrity, and these values are expressed in everything he undertakes. 
he succeeds in the business world by bringing an artist's perspective to his companies, yet with an innate understanding of what other artists need and want. So his, his basic line, you know, bottom line motto is, for musicians, by musicians. And his music reflects his personal and social outlook and experiences. Richie says, as we sink deeper into our mechanized and corporate worlds, all we can hope for is that the artist can rise to the occasion and help shape our world and realities with real vision, truth, and leadership. And boy, oh boy, rise to the occasion he does, because Richie walks the talk and believes music is a vehicle that can be used to communicate truth and awareness, as well as to promote change. Now, with this in mind, Richie's put together a body of work that reflects his multifaceted life and speaks directly to his audiences as well. As well, with a multi-layered approach all of his own, Richie is on a journey of the heart, which we are going to share and reveal to you during our show. And this journey of the heart is a journey of the heart, of the mind, and of the spirit. And he invites you to come along for the ride. But be warned, if you're with Richie, you'd better fasten your seatbelt. Exhilarating, inspiring, and energizing it is indeed. So hang on. Without further ado, Richie, welcome to the Bottom Line Show Live. Well, hello there. Hello out there. So wonderful to have you on our show today, Richie. Yes, thank you. Glad to be on. Yeah. Well, Richie, I got to say, you know, I I had the blessing, the privilege, and the honor to see In the Name of Freedom in August when you premiered it. And um, it, like everyone else in the audience, I I don't think anyone could have expected the phenomena that we were able to witness, not just the visually spectacular display, but also the sound of the music and the message that really went to the straight to the heart of the matter. So um, uh, it was just quite an experience, which I'm so excited that we're here today able to share with our listeners how you have gone from point A from birth until now where you've able to accomplish this, uh, this incredible rock prophecy. Well, thank you so much, and I was so happy to have you there and uh, to witness that. And it was exciting for me actually witness it myself because it was really meant to be a workshop. But we pulled it all together, and uh, luckily we videotaped it and we recorded it, and uh, it just really came off uh, beyond my expectations. So. Uh, my situation is is that I came from a musical family um, to some degree. I was I had a stage mom that that got me involved in the arts at a very early age, and uh, growing up in Southern California, it gave me access <clears throat> to um, to playing during the '60s and '70s to playing with so many different people. And uh, over the years, as you mentioned, you said my credits. I was lucky enough. I'm not just lucky, I, I think I pulled it in to play with the best of the best. And uh, all these experiences, I saw Jimi Hendrix, and I uh, I was really touched by, by Jimi. I was inspired by the message of music. And I believe everything that we do is predestined, and um, I think if you just let go, and it's difficult sometimes living in, 
the physical universe, you know, things, there's all sorts of obstacles and that's what creates the game of life. But you, you go through life and you move along and uh, I've been able to um, have these great experiences from seeing Fleetwood Mac cut their first record uh, and just being uh, at the right place at the right time and many times, uh, you know, going th- through the struggles and travails, mostly when you're re- really predestined to really bring bring art and change culture with music. And um, mm-hmm. I've been through all these various, as we all do, as, as the human condition, you know, to survive and what we go through. And mostly artists, artists are under attack. And so I, I understood at early age that I had to, if I was going to create original art, that I also needed to be able to support it. So I, I did whatever it took to do that, which was to, um, um, to really get involved uh, with, with business as well to help me sustain. So I'm able to do my art and, and original art. So as I've come along the way, I started playing with the, I think my, at a very early age, I, 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 I played with a national act called, uh, question mark to the Mysterians that had a number one hit 96 tears and then I played in all these other bands and struggled through all the the drugs and sex drugs and rock and roll of the, the 70s and 80s and experiencing and touring with with Alice Cooper with my band Satter and all these experiences so it gave me the wherewithal to keep on improving my drumming abilities and so as I I moved forward um and then going through so many different layers and so many different things of living life, I and always looking for the truth, because that was always a priority. I, I was involved in, um, you know, metaphysical aspects when I was 15. I was into theosophy, and I was always studying to master the mind and realizing our potentiality. And that was always part of me. And uh, so as you go through life. And as I went through life, I, I basically, I came to a point where uh, I realized uh, that I did have a vision and the vision was in 1989. And I wanted to relay this to mankind, what I basically came through me and downloaded. <clears throat> and uh, so I got busy playing guitar and singing. And and at the same time, I was playing in all these different groups. I was touring with Bobby Kimball of the Toto group and we were touring and and then I was playing with brothers John Lewis Johnson really for eight years, who was with Michael Jackson, and I played with all these different people and Rick Derringer. And but at the same time, I realized I wanted to create my own music, and you can't really do that from with drums. Uh, so I had to play guitar, and then I had to learn how to sing. And excuse me, I got involved with uh, with Robbie Wyckoff, who's singer right now of my rock opera, but he's also the singer of Roger Waters. Uh, um, the group of Pink Floyd. And um, so we started playing with Keith Emerson at the time. And he was also in my brother's Johnson group as well with Lewis Johnson. So, you know, from there um, I started writing all these songs and I started developing all this material. And that was a, a body of work. And, uh, and then back in 2008, I joined the, the uh, multi-platinum group Sweet and uh, from Sweet uh, at, of course, Ballroom Blitz and Fox on the Run and all that. And that's been a, that's, we've toured all over the world many times. And uh, we did the the Journey Tour over South America. And, 
it broadened my um, range to be able to reach a lot of people and mostly with what my mission is on this planet to making a difference in, in the world. And so, yes, uh, now we get up to current times and there's a lot of things that happened all in between. But to give you just a broad uh, stroke, <laughs> if you will, you get to the rock yeah. prophecy and uh, and here I am. So I know that's a long explanation. I know we have a little time, so I thought I'd give you a full uh, full shot. An here. overview. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got we 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 here on the Bottom Line Show Live. We want to get to the bottom line, to the secrets of your success, and how you were able to get to. I mean, right now we see you all bright, shiny, polished. You know, you're you're the it's the end result of a lifetime of work and of uh, you know of experiences that have brought you to the point where now you have. You know, everything from vintage rock to rock over America. You have all these major music publications and magazines that are, you know, singing praises about uh, in the name of freedom. But we want to hear a little bit about, you know, where, you know, you grew up in the San Gabriel, no, the San Fernando Valley, you said. And so tell us yes. a little bit about, you know, did were you an only child? Were you, do you come from a large family? Um, to paint a picture for us as to what your childhood was like. Was it you know, fairly easy? Did you have challenges? Tell us a little bit about that and what your journey uh, was like at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I was just my brother and myself. He was five years older and uh, Italian uh, descent. Uh, my grandparents came from Italy, so I'm full-blooded Italian. And uh, my family, they had a lot of difficulties being coming from immigrants and and growing up and coming from New York and landing in San Fernando Valley. And <laughs> my mother just really took uh, the position to stay home with the boys. And so we didn't have a lot. And my dad, uh, you know, we they really pinched every penny. But it was all about the music. It was about uh, both of them just loved. My mom was a dancer. She had danced with Mickey Rooney and, uh, and uh, Judy Garland uh, as a kid. But she never reached a big success. So she wanted me to, when she saw I gravitated towards music, she really wanted me to to, to do that. And so it was really, you know, the Ed Sullivan show and the Beatles and growing up in that whole thing and living in a, the suburbs in Los Angeles and just growing up and meeting guys up the street and playing drums and, you know, uh, playing these little places outside and seeing the whole 60s and 70s unravel, 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. and 70s, start uh, doing it. And it was uh, it was really my parents, and they they just considered family was number one, and they gave that to us as, you know, that's the most important thing in life is, is your family and just, you know, it's not about a bunch of material things. It's about love. And so... Mm-hmm. Well, did you have any major challenges uh, growing up? Well, yeah. I mean, in those times, uh, yeah, you, you get in relationships, and growing up was one after the next. And uh, I chose the more difficult way, uh, which is sticking to believing in yourself that you're an artist and you're trying to do something that most people can't do instead of just doing the, the normal thing. So yes, mm-hmm. I was up against everything and it's, it's, it's been a very, 
a lot of trials and tribulations in my life. So growing up, um, and then there was the drugs and, and getting into drugs and seeing, you know, uh, starting to, you know, smoke marijuana at a very, very young age and, and continue to go through that and then getting into other drugs because it mm-hmm. was so, that was the way of, of life. And then the limitations of what that does to you and how that can affect your mind. And, and so, yes. And then I, I got married and, uh, that, uh, that, that was a big challenge and that didn't work out. And so, yes, mm-hmm. uh, but I have a beautiful daughter and grandchildren that came from that. And I'm really blessed to go through that. But there was a lot of different relationships because a lot of women, they were not, it takes a lot for a woman to uh, be with a musician that really believes in their, in their art. And it's, it's not always easy. Um, so, mm-hmm. but you know, relationships it can be difficult all the way around for anybody, not just an artist. So yeah, many challenges. Mm-hmm. Did you come into the world of music uh, through a business endeavor first, or was it um, a music gig? Which was your first entryway? Because I know that um, your background, um, you are this very accomplished musician, but I also know you're a very accomplished entrepreneur and businessman as well. So which door opened first for you? Well, actually, when I was 18, that 96 tears with question mark, I mean, that gave that. And so it was really music uh, was the first thing uh, that really. uh, But then when you have a family, uh, I started getting involved in in marketing and things when I was uh, about uh, 28, 29. And I got involved with with music products, so to speak. And uh, that's how I got involved in that. Mm, okay, so your first entry was then, and so your first love, music, uh, you were able to accomplish that. And, and so was this something that you would dream about a lot, that you were, would you say you were like almost obsessed with this, where there, that, there was no other option, music was it, and you were going to make it as a drummer? Yes, I, I, I worked at uh, eight, ten hours a day at my craft, and, and where everybody else was playing up the street and all that, I worked very, very hard on my uh, developing my my all my chops, so to speak, um, as a drummer. You know, I wanted I set out. I listened to Buddy Rich records and I'd study records, and so I realized I chose that career. Um, and uh, and then I got in a group called Satter, and that group um, that grew and it became very successful. That's the one when I was in my early twenties. We played in Hawaii and we played in Canada and we did we played with Aerosmith and. And but there was a lot of challenges with that. That was a very difficult band. That was like one of the best bands in the world. But due to some management and all these things that happen in life, it was and like so many people in bands, so many things happen, and you have lead singer problems. And so, um, yeah, that 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 really uh, created a name for myself on many levels. And then uh, and then after that broke up. Um, the singer from Mata Hoople, we were in a band and, and then from there we ended up, I mean, while I was always doing other things and developing my, my business skills, um, really I was playing constantly and, and playing all over the place as a musician and gigs and all that. Yes. Wow. So what would you say was your first big, um, your first big break? 
Well, there was a lot of them, like, uh, you know, touring with Alice Cooper and playing on the Welcome on My Nightmare tour up in Winnipeg, Canada, and other dates in Canada. That was a big thing at a kid when he was 22. Uh, but as that progressed, and there was all these different things, but a co- consistent uh, touring thing was with Bobby Kimball from Toto when we started playing a lot of festivals around town. I mean, around the around uh, mainly the United States, and so that was a that was that was a big win. But then there's of course the recording thing, doing a, a record with Rick Derringer and uh, doing different things like that. Those were also uh, breaks uh, with breaks of nothing in between. <laughs> ironically never thought of it that way you you have your big break and boy do you have a big break after the big break (laughs) but i guess you you go now it's 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 part of the it's part of the business part of the music business and the world of entertainment it happens yeah it's a funny thing because you really think you've reached this and that it's going to keep coming and the phone all of a sudden doesn't ring and then you're kind of out there hustling gigs like the rest of us on this planet. And mm-hmm. it's not always, uh, you know, it's, it's mostly in today's age and so many things we're always looking to, to mock up our, uh, our, our career. We it's a constant, constant work. It doesn't say uh, things uh, don't just uh, stay the static. They're, they're always either getting expanding or you're contracting. So uh, that's, no matter who you are, I don't care how big a star, you're always looking to to keep on expanding and, and uh, working towards that. What was your first uh, business deal endeavor? Like when you first, uh, when you decided, okay, I'm going to, you know, you on purpose decided I'm going to start this business uh, and what led to that decision? Well, I was, I was, uh, basically I chose to start doing sessions. I, I was working with Cheryl Crow's bass player, Tad Wadhams at the time. We started a rhythm section. And at that time I had just gone through the Boris and I moved to Topanga Canyon where I currently live. And, uh, that was a business and it was, uh, it was somewhat successful as long as all my, as well as all the other groups that I was doing. Uh, but again, I chose to, uh, get involved in, in, uh, uh, in this business. Uh, and I had met this guy who had done, uh, I had been involved in this, uh, business with, uh, this gentleman that had a instructional video company. And he asked me if I wanted to help him market it. And so, um, one of the big, uh, situations that I have and one of my abilities is the ability, ability to communicate and get on the phone and be able to communicate with people and, 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 and really sell learning the sales. And so when I realized that was an art form, the ability mm-hmm. to communicate with people and to give them what they want and just that whole exchange, I realized I was really talented at that. And so later on, I got involved uh, with a, a company called Levy's, and they were a small little company. They were doing about uh, about 100 grand in the United States. And I came up with all these great ideas. I started a rep company, and I came up with these ideas how we could really expand them. And I I built them from 1994 or 92. In 14 years, I built that 100,000 per year. We were doing 8 million when I left in 2003. Wow. So that was that was a very successful action for me, and that gave me the ability to really be able to uh, expand uh, my musical vision and all these other things of uh, of really making that business happen. 
So I'm 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 quite proud of that achievement uh, that, that I was is able a to do with that rep company. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it was a rep company, a hundred thousand to eight million. That's like a major accomplishment. Yes. Wow. <laughs> well, and you must have built a lot of. Obviously, you were communicating quite a bit. You probably developed a, a, a very large number of, I would imagine, um, relationships through that. So that must have been that must have been a kick in the pants as an artist too, because you're expanding your creative your creativity, you know, in a much larger. Um, arena. Well, that's right. It went it went hand in hand because being going to you know NAM, which is National Association of Musical Merchandisers, that's where all the musicians come. <clears throat> and at the same time, I'd be doing working the booth with my sales, you know, with my sales team. And at the same time, at night, I'd be playing the Gibson Jam, and I'd be the featured drummer, backing up Larry Carlton. And, Everybody oh could goodness. imagine, and so it was a constant kind of it went hand in hand with me finding a niche uh, that that leveled off the playing field, so I can pick and choose my gigs. And I wasn't just you know this drummer that was you know playing Vegas to make a living and playing things I really didn't want to. I was able to really pick and choose my gig and be able to focus on the art that I wanted to do. Wow. What was the most shocking thing that you encountered when you first entered the music business? Uh, what was the most shocking? Well, when I first entered, uh, there wasn't anything really shocking. I think the shocking thing is just people's behavioral uh, patterns and uh, people's egos and how I would be the glue in most of the bands, but just how people they weren't committed or they didn't believe or they didn't believe in themselves or they shot themselves in the foot. That's pretty shocking to take a, a project mm-hmm. that you're like the next Led Zeppelin and just see people just self-destruct. And that was a lot for me, uh, being a persistent person. That's the way I am. That's the way I live my life. But to see mm-hmm. people just pretty much derail their really purpose in these incredible opportunities uh, that, uh, we were building and where they would just destroy it at the end. That was pretty shocking, but now I understand why. <laughs> yeah, now I know. At first, when you first encounter that, it's it's baffling. That it's like, why are people shooting themselves in the foot? There, it's like a very obvious self sabotage. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, tell us a little bit about your experience as to how, in the name of freedom. This is not just a rock concert. This is a rock prophecy, a rock opera, um, and it's pretty spectacular. So, uh, you know, it intrigues me. How did, you know, what was the the genesis of this? How was this born? How was it born? It started with a vision. I was at some hot springs in the San Fern- in the uh in in the desert. And uh I basically did have divine intervention that happened to me and uh mm-hmm. it was unlike anything that I've ever been a spiritual type person it was uh it was a it was something that I could not ignore and I realized that something was put at my doorstep and it was laid out wow. to me that way and so when something like that happens and it emotionally affects you every day of your life there's no walking away from it. So you, 
have, you know, then you have to play guitar. You've got to learn how to sing. You've got to, you, you have no idea what you're going to, you're just a drummer. What, 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 mm-hmm. why, <laughs> why me? You know, what can I really do? I mean, and you know, I'm just, you know, what can I really do? And so it was my job to figure out a way to uh, bring the truth uh, through the wavelength of music. And so I started just putting a lot of material together and it was all, you know, protesty type stuff that's happening in our world. And I started putting all this stuff together. And uh, as I started formulating it, it took me, I did the record in the name of freedom and I got such great reviews. And then a good friend of mine said, Richie, this is an amazing body of work. You really need to bring this to stage and not being a, you know, stagey person, except when I was young, Mm -hmm. when I was a young dancer, not theatrical. uh, I said, yes. And so back several years ago, I started writing the, um, writing the whole treatment for it. And I started putting all that together and then connecting all these songs and then writing a lot more material that Mm -hmm. uh, actually they all just started connecting. And, uh, so that's how this thing has evolved. Wow. Now, when you had this vision, first of all, um, when you had the vision, was it a vision or was it more like a lucid dream? Um, tell us a little bit of, of more about that and tell us also, share if you would, peel back the curtain and share a little bit about what you were feeling, your heart was feeling as this is being well, revealed this, to you. Well, this is this is uh, this is something that I don't really reveal too much about the vision. The vision is thrown through the music and through how I do this. So the particulars, what occurred. Um, I don't get completely into the into the nuts and bolts, so to speak. But uh, all I know, it was so profound. It was beyond what anybody could ever expect in a vision. And I just was like, the next day I was in awe. The next morning I was in awe. And what was I was feeling? I was feeling the weight of humanity on my shoulders. That's what I was feeling. (laughs) So were you shaken, you know, shaken up by it? I was emotionally shaken up um, because I kept on saying, why, why, why me? You know, why me? And, uh, this can't be, and so you know it 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 was shaken yeah and and mostly when I communicated what happened to me to other people it because uh, I was in a group in the springs, and they all went to bed, but um i was i was yeah, I was shaken up by it, yes, I guess you could say I was shaken up by it so it it wasn't really something that you're like, oh, okay, it was a dream, it was kind of out there, um you could easily forget no. it, it kind of. It sounds like it it took you, and it's not something you could easily ignore or forget about. It sounds like it was really, you know, put upon you almost. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It must have been predestined. I mean, why I was there at that time, how we tuned in the group of people I was with, and how we tuned into that. It was just you weren't uh, really looking for it, it either, was, were you? Oh <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no! You didn't even know that it existed to look for it. Well, uh, you know, there's that, and but then there's this innate knowingness of that yeah. you're here for a reason. 
mm-hmm. like all of us are here for a purpose, mm-hmm. you know, just like you, having this show, spreading mm-hmm. goodness and kindness into the world. And we're all really basically here for the same purpose. So many of the like-minded groups of people and how to unify us all together, all like-minded people against some forces out there that are not like us. And so, you know, when you realize there's more good people than there are people that are negative and they're out to destroy, you realize that, that, you know, everybody serves that it's really us coming together as group and like-minded people. And that's really the message of the show uh, and of my message is that we need to unify to come together and we need to do it with the power of the boycott and with the market share. And that's how you do it. And that is the message that has evolved. And now I understand, you know, I understand, you know, what I'm here for and what my purpose is. What is my goal? What is your goal? What is everybody's goal here on this planet? And it's most of us is, is to have a really sane, an incredible planet where we can all thrive and flourish. And there's not a lot of what's going on right now. It's looking at the undercut of what's happening. And the undercut is that this could be great, but people... There are certain people on this planet that are stopping that from happening, heaven on earth, instead of creating, they create hell on earth. And that's not all right with me. And it's my goal to change that along with all of you and all of us, because it's really us. It's the group activity. Mm-hmm. So tell us also a little bit about how, who was the first person who bought into into your vision and got excited and say, hey, you know, this is awesome. How can I help? Because this has been a 20-year uh, labor of love. This is not something that, <laughs> not an overnight success. People are going to go, oh, wow, he's an overnight success. Uh, no, not really. This, is, this has been, you know, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. So who was your first champion that came alongside? I really, haven't, is- I really haven't had one. It's been very difficult, lonely road. And to tell you the truth, yeah. it's, it's been very difficult. Wow. I've, I've had to pay my own way, so to speak, paying the building mm-hmm. studios myself, doing, you know, everything to be able to do this with this one purpose in mind and knowing that I just had to keep one foot in front of it. And, uh, you know, basically once I wrote the treatment, I met a producer and she saw it and she did a little civil reel. I didn't even know what a civil reel was. And she put that together, and then when she realized this, well, you need to be Hercules to try to pull something like this off, she just bailed. <laughs> she was like, "Wow!" She was like, no, "No way, no way! This is you know too many things. You got to put a libretto together, and the idea that you could put a musical with all the things." So she just jumped off the ship. I had other people that looked like they were going to put a lot of money in and a lot of things, and they they come to find out that I ran across people that were complete cons. And they were just, you know, so I've, I've hit, when you're out for this kind of purpose, you hit about every can't imagine when you're trying to create an effect on planet earth. Uh, it's, it's, it's a big task and uh, it's, 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 it's difficult. Now I've had a lot of help. I have um, my CPA who's a wonderful woman. She helped me structure things where I could get, be able to fund this myself, work for hires and so forth. And, it's really me and learning the ability to sell and get people excited about my project and get them to come on board, the big names. But mm-hmm. it's, it's been like pulling, pulling teeth. I mean, Robbie Wyckoff getting him on board, amazing, you know, but I had that long relationship. And slowly but surely, people become believers. 
But you think about, you know, Christianity and you think about just a small group, and I'm not comparing this with that at all, but I'm just saying that when you start anything out, uh, you know, it's, it's the true believers who are the believers that actually do it. And, you know, people want to bail right away. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of get into it, but they're busy surviving as well. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I know that was a long answer to a very simple question. So. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about the process. So, has it was you know to get to see what we saw you know uh, at the premiere, and you know did you just literally pick up the phone and started talking to some of your musical um, connections and so forth and see who would be willing to come on board and sing? Well, I already had the record cut. See, I already I I had most of the record cut. Okay, so. Mm these people have already cut their vocals on it. So mm. I actually started, uh, you know, shopping the idea of how am I going to bring this to stage? And I talked to, mm-hmm. to uh, somebody close to me and she had different ideas, but nobody really came to the table until uh, I had a meeting about actually doing this. And uh, there was this Angelique Daltrey kind of jumped on board as director and she had those theatrical chops. Wow to be able to uh, do that. And she really has been amazing. She helped put the website together. She helped really organize this kind of endeavor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because you have some, you know, you mentioned Robbie Wyckoff, who is, uh, he was a singer on with The Wall, correct? And vocalist? Well, he was The Wall, but now it's the Us and Them tour, which they just did Ocello, and they're going out for a mm-hmm. huge tour. But Robbie is, uh, it's really just Roger and Robbie on stage along with two singers. So he is now, you know, he's the main singer of Roger Waters. We have Joe Retta, who's my singer in Sweet. And he, he's mm-hmm. in the past, he's played in Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and he's an amazing vocalist. And Lois Mahala, yeah. who is uh, with Kenny Loggins and, and Joe Walsh, but she's also an incredible solo artist. Uh, mm-hmm. We have Debbie Holiday, who actually sang on the record, who is a major vocalist. So I've got some of the best vocalists on the planet uh, that join me on stage. And uh, and then Jamie Hunting on bass, who played for Roger mm-hmm. Daltrey. And, you know, the list, it just, I was able to assemble all these people, and I was able to get a little bit of funding to actually put this first go on. And just like I said, it was, uh, it's beyond my expectations, and you were able to witness it. And, uh, now I'm getting ready for the next uh, the next level. Take this to a whole nother level, and so that's what I'm I'm gearing up to do. Yeah, and and it was really um, fascinating. You know, there was so much going on during the performance because again, it's uh, you know the music is large and spectacular and the visual display, but um, you not only play the guitar and sing, but you also got behind there and also played the drums. Uh, and, you know, so this was, I can't imagine a little bit of the chaos that must have taken place for you to be jumping back and forth between singing and playing the guitar and then going back there and, you know, on stage also playing the drums and, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of musical chairs in front of a big audience, you know. So tell us a little bit about was- what, what made you think that that was the way to go. Well, the first half of the show, I, I play guitar on the first song, and then I switch to drums for the first half. And I bring out young Amade, who plays uh, plays the Amade. He's the central one that gets the vision. Mm-hmm. 
And so on the second part of the show, uh, I play on the day and I come out and I play guitar and I sing. So that's pretty set in stone and it, it's a workable thing. And that was done through the script. Um, but I had never, you know, I acted when I was five years old, but that was my first time I've ever acted on stage since then. And for me to get up on stage and produce it and be the, you know, be the actor and singer and all that, it was certainly a miracle. I mean, the last thing I expected and I didn't know what to expect. And I know a lot of the major stars that I had because we had really no rehearsals. They were all just like, uh, were they advertising people? Were they inviting all their friends to come down to see this? No, they were pretty, they weren't sure because our rehearsals, we, it was, it was like herding cats to try to get everybody together with everybody's yeah, schedule. So we literally had not enough budget to get everybody in rehearsals at the same time, herding cats to get all these people at the same time, a cast of 16 people. So when we actually did it, and then all of a sudden I saw the reaction where every the reaction at the end where everybody's on their feet and they're all, I, it was certainly a miracle to me too. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm saying it was, you don't know when you have a show, if you're going to have a hit or not. And to realize that even though this could be 50 or hundred percent better, uh, I know that we have a hit show on our hands and now it's just about pulling everything mm-hmm. together and taking this to a huge level. So, that's what you witnessed. I, I believe that uh, it's only going to get much, much better. Well, and it sounds to me like, you know, you, you you don't have any guarantees going in. Like you said, you don't know if you're going to have a hit show, and you don't know, um, you know, you don't know until you actually do it as to exactly what it's going to look like and how it's going to unfold. And so it sounds to me, and this is one of the secrets of success that I find to be a common golden thread amongst all of all of the folks that we've had on the show is that at some point you as an individual, this is your dream, this is something that you have a burning passion and desire to do, but you do have to take that leap of faith. You do have to muster up the courage, feel the fear and do it anyway, and jump in with both feet and take that leap of faith and say, you know what, you know, if you, if you never try it, you'll never know. And so, you know, there are no guarantees. You just have to go out there, do it, and figure it out. And it sounds like exactly that's exactly what you did. Yeah, I mean, basically, I've always been a risk taker. And, you know, most of my other family, they get their day jobs and they do that that thing. And it's a very safe way to go. Me, I, I haven't. That has not been my. I have to go all the way in. And, you know, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, you fall into an abyss and it's not fun. And, uh-huh. uh but you just keep on going for it. And I think all of us can relate. I think, you know, when you look at Shark Tank and all the people that put everything to escape or to be able to put anything forth, we all take that leap of faith. But you know what? That mm-hmm. leap of faith doesn't work out all the time. And it's no. it, just like it said, it's not it's not fun when it doesn't. And uh, and so, yes, you just have to you do have to go for it, mostly if you really are passionate about it. But you have to do it mindfully all as well where you don't endanger everybody around you and you keep your responsibilities, but it's, it's not always a pretty thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm sure there must've been plenty of sleepless nights. You know, you're mulling in your mind's eye, you know, what this is going to look like, how it's going to unfold, you know, and, and all the, um, all the different possibilities. And uh, uh, I can't imagine uh, the night before the event, uh, I'm sure there must have been a, a mixture 
of excitement and also angst because, you know, it's your reputation on the line. You've got some big big names that are on stage there with you that are going to be there side by side to see how this is going to play out. And, and as much as, you know, there have been some things that were able to be rehearsed, but you, you know, ultimately getting everybody to do a full dress rehearsal wasn't really possible. And uh, you have all these pros, so you I can't imagine all the thoughts and feelings that must have been going through your through your being <laughs> leading up to this must have been ah you know. <laughs> well, luckily we luckily we we said before the show just just in case it completely bombed, as we said it was a workshop show, and uh, <laughs> so we made sure that that was very clear, uh, and then. Uh, now, looking back, it was much more than that. Mhm, Well, so what's the what's the next goal for In the Name of Freedom? Uh, what what are you going to do next with it? Well, basically, what I want to do is my plan is to I've got a couple business people on board right now, and they're helping me with that. And I think the important thing is to establish another date in in the spring. But really do it, bring in the big wardrobe people, bring in the budget properly to do this to the next level with all the visuals that I really want. And uh, and then also bring in some superstars that can join us on a couple songs to really help fill uh, the show that we're going to, you know, really tape and take this one and use this as a model. And my goal with this is to – I have um, – have something that is basically um, something that works in parallel to the show because the show is great to bring awareness to mankind, but you have to have a vehicle of unification of the people. And this is called FANA, People for a New America, People for a New World. And it's an organization formed by the citizens who are dedicated to creating a new model for America by unifying its citizens against the powers that be. So we get together. So let's say we do this show at one of these major venues in L.A. that holds uh, 2,000 people, and we bring in some superstars to help us fill the seats and uh, Mm -hmm. make sure that uh, it's a profitable thing. But we also have booths in there of like-minded churches and groups bringing Mm -hmm. choirs that can sing on the song, and they all come together and so that all these unifying forces can actually put into action this parallel arm of FANA called the action of all these people that could set up booths and actually start spreading the word of like-minded people that can, uh, their cause and human trafficking and anything that to change the world, to start bringing us all together, the good people of earth and using my show is a vehicle to bring this unification together. And that is my goal. Now I'd like that to be around March 15th. And uh, mm-hmm. so these business people that I brought up, I'm just busy, uh, I'm finishing uh, my sizzle reels with. I have brought one of the Star Wars narrator came in, and we've done everything from the show that you saw, and uh, now we're we're putting that together, and we're almost done. And it's not been easy. We've been post in post on this for 90 days, but it's got to be right to really convey what you saw mm-hmm. that night. So we can really be able to fund this properly from people that will donate to this cause or they really Mm -hmm. believe that uh, or they want to become, you know, many different ways how we structure the the business, how we bring this to that next level. So that's where we're at now. And, uh, yep, 
What would you say is the number one thing that you've learned in bringing this to stage and to this level? What I really learned is that people are ready for this message, and they, they really want the truth, and they want to be entertained, and they want to be educated, and they want to have a fun night out too. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, this isn't just preachy stuff. This is about a fun, exciting, mind-blowing show that takes people to other dimensions but also gives a solution for what we have to do on this planet to change the world. So it's, it's, it's really um, a complete message. And, uh, and uh, now to bring this to different, you know, states first and bring this and license this out to this message to, to many countries. And we're working on all these different ways to, to bring this, this show to, to the world. Sky's the limit. For our listeners who don't know, you know, In the Name of Freedom is tied to the White Buffalo Prophecy. So would you talk about a little bit the White Buffalo Prophecy? Because I think, you know, until the, In the Name of Freedom, uh, I was not aware of the White Buffalo Prophecy, so, and I would imagine that the majority of folks aren't either. So can you touch upon that and what relevance it has to In the Name of Freedom? Well, at these hot springs that I went to, I did have a vision years before because I was going to these same hot springs in the, in the, in the early seventies as well. And, uh, so years later, uh, I found out about the white Buffalo prophecy and it, it basically, it's about bringing harmony. And I realized the vision that I had was part of who I am, spiritual being. And when I connected the two, I went, wow, this is amazing. And then I started studying the prophecy. And so it's about, we've come to a point in mankind and it's exactly what's happening in Standing Rock right now, where we need to get all the tribes, all the people need to come together and change the world, the world at this very important time, because we are right at the throes of technology taking us over where the, the freedom will be very limited for us. You know, could be through the, uh, you know, we have a great uh, communication vehicle on the Internet. It's a hard thing to stop. Uh But, you know, there's powers that be that will stop us. And exactly Uh like the media being bought out on so many different levels with uh, so many of the different messages, you know, how Standing Rock really could have been covered as a major, major thing where it's getting very limited coverage. And it's such an important situation that has happened. So the white buffalo prophecy is actually happening now, and we're uh, the. Uh, I encourage anybody to go to online to study what white buffalo, because it involves a vision that uh, uh, three Native Americans had a couple thousand years ago, and the white buffalo pipe has been passed on generation to generation, and, and, and someone holds it now, and it's this message, and it's not just it's not just Native American all indigenous people, including all of us, because you can't separate anybody from this. We are all really indigenous in some ways and forms. The idea that we start separating is the wrong way. We need to all come together. It's really about good and evil. And, you know, who's really materialistic and will put anything just to have more cars and more houses and more boats instead of just focusing on what's good for all of us and so yes that's that's where we're at and the white buffalo prophecy uh, uh, really encapsulizes that and so we had the bass player um, and I heard about 
the white buffalo uh, when the white buffalo is born, which is similar to Jesus Christ in Native American, is that we that was actually things need to change, and that was Miracle Moon was born in 1994, and um, so we're having a session here with Fishbone Norwood from Fishbone playing bass on one of my tracks, and he was at, and I played him the White Buffalo track that I did, it's Bring Back the Buffalo Nations, which we're ready to release a video on real, real shortly that it covers all this. Uh, and he's at my home and he says, uh, he says, you know, Richie, the, these people with a herd of white buffaloes just got a hold of me and they want me to help out, as a, you know, one of the stars to bring attention to the wow. white buffalo. And I went, really? Isn't this bizarre? <laughs> and a herd so of white con- buffaloes con- absolutely unheard of. Right. So he contacted, so basically put me in touch with them. And next thing you know, I'm up on the property up, up north. <clears throat> and uh, I'm with, I'm, I'm with the white buffalo. And that was, uh, that's just all part of the connection. White Bison Association. Uh, you can look that up and uh, learn more about that. So needless to say, you've had um, probably a lot of what I like to call God incidences, a lot of, you know, things that have validated that you're definitely on the right track. But, you know, I mean, to have one white buffalo is pretty rare. And then for this guy to approach you about a herd of white buffalo is (laughs) like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Did I hear that right? yeah, and we got footage up there, and that's going to be part of the the video we're going to be releasing any day. Uh, bring back the Buffalo Nations, which goes, and I wrote this song in 2000, and how it goes exactly with what's happening at Standing Rock and with me and and uh, being involved and virtually connected to the greater purpose uh, of all this and and what comes through us because all of us have you know, spirit and, and, and something that actually comes through us and, and motivates us. And uh, whatever that is for each one is a personal experience, but I certainly know mine and I live with it every day. And uh, there you go. Have you had a lot of feedback from any of the Indian nations or tribes with regards to in the name of freedom? Well, we've done the, you know, being involved with the White Bison Association, they they have there's a lot of politics in, in Native Americans, and and so that's the important thing. We've got to learn to to learn to unify us all because we don't want the same thing happening in all that with with divides and because you know we're divided and conquered and we don't need further division. It's just really about good people and and good and evil, you know, or good and bad or whatever. And, you know, bad people that are evil or whatever, they can straighten their ethics out and, 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 and get on the other side too. And that's what part of the message of the show is, is to get the corporation's ethics. And it boils down to ethics, and it boils down to getting these people, the corporations, whoever – because there's a lot of great corporations out there. I'm not anti-business at all. It's about, you know, us all – you know, or, or for that matter, capitalism or anything. It's, as long as you're not over greedy and you do things uh-huh. in such a fashion that uh, uh, is, is about being, being ethically in there and correct. And so, uh, yeah. 
So going back to the, you know, Native American, uh, I have approached uh, some of the, you know, uh, the casinos and the, which I play with sweet and I'm very connected. I manage sweet as well. And so I'm very connected with, uh, with that. And we'll further, I've reached out to some and they have, you know, they, it's, it's their spirit. I do respect their, what they have and how they hold sacred. their obviously their what, how they go about everything. So it will be interesting, uh, you know, I know you have to uh, to get approved by by them. You have to abide by certain things, even shows and movies or whatever. So I look forward to interacting with them in the future and making this even bigger the segment because there's a portion of the show which does cover the white buffalo prophecy and the Native American and how this all ties in because it all it it all does tie in. Fantastic. So if people want to get more information about in the name of freedom. Where would they go? Well, uh, hopefully on your website you'll 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 put it up there. And it's, but my website is www.rockprophecylive.com. Mm-hmm. And then you Richie Onori is dot uh, com is also a place you can find me. It's not completely updated okay. uh, website because I'm you can see I'm a pretty busy guy. <laughs> yeah. But it's R I C H I E. And then my last name is O, N as in Nancy, O-R-I dot com, RichieOnori dot com. And uh, you can get a hold of me through Facebook, and you can see on all that. And putting that whole infrastructure of this uh, organization, this dual, orchestra, uh, you know, uh, uh-huh. basically uh, organization, is, is all being put together as we speak as well. As we speak. Fantastic. Well, we do have uh, rockprophecylive.com in the show description for our listeners. Richie, it has been an amazing hour, uh, and uh, thank you for sharing with us um, your journey and um, how we can learn more about In the Name of Freedom and about your true secrets to your success. And we wish you well, and uh, we look forward to seeing In the Name of Freedom uh, on, you know, with continued success and more coverage. Uh, And uh, again, thank you for opening your heart to us during this hour. We really appreciate it. And namaste. Namaste and and welcome to you. And thank you for your, all your great work. Appreciate it. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the bottom line show live. We air every Wednesday at 11, 11 AM Pacific standard time. Peace and love always to you all. Bye-bye.